We're talking about love this morning. Uh, unlike some uh, topics, uh, this is a much easier topic to talk about. Uh, most people enjoy talking about the concept of love, even if it's not very controversial at all. If you, talk, if you say that we should be more loving, uh, you can say that on any stage, in any way. You can say it at a concert. We need more love. That sounds great. I saw one time, one time when I went for a run, like a long, long time ago, spray-painted on the sidewalk, you know, all we need is love. This dates me a bit, or perhaps for those of you who love vintage things, you recognize these lyrics. Love, love, love. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. What's easy? I don't even understand what those lyrics are trying to say, actually. You? I read some, like, interpretations of these lyrics, and I was like, that's more confusing now. Nothing you can make that can't be made. Nothing you can save that can't be saved. Now, if you love the Beatles, I apologize. I'm not trying to go against the Beatles here. So I like it, too. I've sung these words many times. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you in time. It's easy. Love, love, love. All you need is love. I'm more confused now than I was before I read those lyrics. Anyone else? This idea of love seems really easy to talk about, but actually, conceptually, it sounds dumb when you try to take it and put it in an abstract principle because actually love was never intended to be an abstract principle. We're in a series on the Father God, which means we're taking some looks at the attributes of God, attributes of the Father, and they apply to really in some ways all members of the Trinity in some way, shape, or form in that all of God is, is love, all of God is holy, all of God is merciful, whether you're talking about Jesus or whether you're talking about the Holy Spirit, all of God is holy. I mean, His name is Holy Spirit. And so there's a sense in which we're talking about these three, and it's hard to kind of pull these apart at times. But if you're brand new to Christianity, I will say this, one of the most important things you can ever learn about Christianity is we who believe, who are Christians, will believe that in one God displayed in three persons, a Father a Son, and a Holy Spirit. And it's crazy mind-bending to get your head around this. It takes a lot of years. If you don't believe me, ask a six-year-old to explain it to you, and they'll just say, I can't, I don't understand. They'll just nod your head and say, if you say so. It's hard to understand. In fact, as we grow up, we get, we get desensitized to how difficult this could be at times. If you're brand new to Christianity, you're not desensitized at all. You say, and that's why I don't believe in Christianity. But likely you believe that God is love. It's very common to believe this. Very common to believe that even if you don't believe in God, you believe in love. But this Beatles song talked about a self-centered love. Talked about how it's about me, which strangely enough is opposite of what we actually know to be loving. It's not an abstract principle for us. How do you say you love someone? You just will it <laughs> to another person? Just hope that they catch it somehow? Like Valentine's Day. 
How does this go in Valentine's Day? A little pop quiz. You love someone, but you say, I'm going to keep it in self and see if I can kind of will it into another person. How does that go? Doesn't go very well. You need to buy flowers. If you're good, you buy good flowers. Or you take someone out on a date. But simply saying it out loud isn't always enough either, is it? If I say that I love you, but that's all that happens and I never show you or it never expresses itself some other way, and you're probably confused by that. You say, well, I don't know if they really love me. They say they love me, but love is something that has to be shown. Yes, now you're with me. Love is not an abstract principle. And God knows this, and so he's going he's gonna to explain it in, in various ways, and he's going to show it. And so this morning, and this is not kind of isolated, this is something that, that we have to know and feel in our hearts and our souls. My goal this morning is not to simply talk about the knowledge of God's love in an abstract principle where you can say, isn't love wonderful, but so that you can feel it. That's really been my prayer a lot of the time, is that these attributes of the Father aren't stuff you know about God, but you, that you know God because He is love. And we're going to talk about three things from a, a book uh, written by a man who is known as the one Jesus loved. I love that. His name was John. He was one of the original 12. At least they think uh, th he was the one who wrote it. But he actually was one of the original 12 who followed Jesus around. And Jesus had some friends that he was very close to among those 12. Three of them. And one of them is known as the one that he loved. The disciple that he loved. Someone who experienced what it was like to be loved by Jesus Christ. It would have been an amazing thing. So I think he's an excellent person to talk about this issue of love. And so if, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 John if you uh, don't have it yet in your Bible. Uh, it's right at the very end. It's one of the last books of the Bible. It's actually a letter in the Bible. If you don't have a uh, Bible, uh, raise your hand and someone would love to bring you a Bible. And if that's your first Bible, we'd love for you to keep that. But we're going to be looking at chapter 4 of first, the first letter of John. Chapter 4 in the first letter of John. Now a few things about this man. Um, he was, first of all, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He loved Jesus. He understood Jesus to be God. And so he understood that when Jesus loved him, this was God loving him. A, a few other things. He was a pastor. He had a pastor's heart. He cared about people. He's one of the last known living apostles or close sent ones of Jesus Christ. And in fact, uh, we visited a place called Ephesus, which is thought to be the place where this letter was written into the people that it was written. And it was, it was basically, he lived his last years telling his people some of the most important things. And what's important thing for people to know? The love of God. Now, John is, he would fit right into our century. He's not necessarily a linear thinker. He's a circular thinker. So he would fit right in in, in the millennial camp. 
So you'll notice in the letter that he kind of goes around in circles. He doesn't have this straight line of perfectly logical thought that just goes, you know, line by line. He actually kind of makes a big circle. And so he talks about love and he keeps circling around this idea of love. And so in some ways you can't really take this passage and fully understand it by just breaking it down. You have to kind of understand it even in its context. But essentially what he's trying to do with this letter is to help people believe that God loves them. That's his point in the letter. Like, that's what I do when I write my children cards. The point of my letter is not to use fancy words. The point of my letter and my card to them is to show my love for them. At some point, I have to explain that in how I write. And this is what John is trying to do. He's trying to write to people that he loves and explain to them that they need to know who God is in order to be saved But once they know that, they can experience the love of God. In fact, sometimes it happens the opposite way, that they learn about the love of God and then believe in Him. And so let's let's go through three things. Um, First of all, we're going to find out that if we know and understand who the Father is, we will know what love is. That love isn't this abstract principle that the Father talks about. It's that He embodies this idea of love. But then we're going to talk about the fact that God does not simply give us this abstract principle about himself, but he actually expresses his love. He manifests his love. He shows his love. This is actually how he shows us that he loves us. He doesn't just say it. He shows us through Jesus. This is why this is so important for us to talk about Jesus all the time, is that if we want to know what love really is, then we need to know what he sent Jesus for. And then we're going to talk about this idea that actually, even though we've never seen God and we only get to experience God through Jesus, and even then we only get to experience Jesus through His Spirit, that we begin to know and understand who the Father is when we see people that love Jesus love each other. So there's actually application built right into the text. And this is kind of, it's, it's like this whole system is rigged to just come back to this fact that God loves us. That this is part of our mission as a church is not simply to tell other people about the love of God, but to love one another in a way that reflects who God is so that when people see us love one another, they'll see that this love is from some other world. It's not a selfish love that most of the songs talk about today. It's a a selfless love because it comes from God who loves, who loves us. So let's go through these things together. The first one, starting in verse 7, let me read it out for you. It starts in verse 7, it says this, Beloved, <clears throat> excuse me, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever God loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I mean, right there, it's kind of self-explanatory type of reading. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. We'll get into the word propitiation a little bit later. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's enough meat here, so to speak, to go on for days. Because this is where we get this idea that God is love. God is, he embodies love. That to talk about God is to understand what love truly is. And so let's, let's talk about the first point there. Why, if you'll give me, um, you already have it. Awesome. I love that guy. See what I did there, Why? If you know the Father, you know love. That's what that says. First verse there. Beloved, let us one, love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is a, this, this simple idea that if you know what God is like, you know what love is like. I mean, I, it, it doesn't have to be any plainer than that. If you know what God is like, you know what love is like, and I would say the reverse is true. If you know what love is like, you know what God is like. Now, some of you would immediately question and say, well, is it possible to love someone and not know who God is? I would say yes. This is kind of this general grace that God gives to all people across the world that, that we do see love happen, and we, we, we love it. See what I did there? We love it when we watch movies and stories of people that love one another. I mean, even though we live in a very unloving society, so to speak, some of you might argue we live in a very loving society, there's all kinds of stories about love. And love always makes the news. Always. It's easy. So everyone has this glimpse into the heart of God because of that. But this love, let's, let's, let's pause there and not even kind of talk about this love. Some of you are like, well, what does that love mean? Because if you listen to the radio, and I don't, but I listen to my kids who listen to the radio. My, six year, or my seven-year-old uh, girl, she loves to crank the radio and dance in a room by herself. And I love that part. Um, I'm not crazy about some of the lyrics that come on the radio. Because they're confusing to her. They talk about love as in a way that we have never really talked about love for a lot of years. And, and the love generally that gets talked about is a romantic slash sexual love. That's why we have so much confusion, I believe, today about same-sex marriage and all of what goes with this. is because we have mixed up what this, that love really becomes this purely sexual and romantic thing. But what's interesting is in the Bible there are three basic descriptions of love. There's first of all this, this Greek word agape. This is, this is love that's kind of reserved for God alone. It's the kind of unconditional love that God has. It's so great, it's so powerful that really it could only come from God. And then there's this idea of philo, which is brotherly love or sisterly love. This is the love that happens between people, literally brothers and sisters. And then there's something called eros, which is a romantic or sexual love. Did you know that there's two places in the Bible that use eros? It happens twice. The Bible almost never talks about eros at all. It never shows up in the New Testament. That is not the idea. It has nothing to do with romance in this letter. See why we could be so confused by this idea of love? Because it has all these overtones of 
relationships in terms of sexual relationships. So right now I want to dispel these myths that somehow, you know, there's some sort of confusion. That's what I kind of wish we could get out of this Greek language that, that, that doesn't happen when you move from Greek to English is you, you miss that in the translation. We have a culture that just can't understand love outside of romance and sex. I mean, I have to know a guy pretty good before I'll text him, love you, bro. That's a little weird. Some guys are like, K. <laughs> I don't always get the love you too, bud. And I'm a little nervous about this because I'm like, I don't, I want to show, I want to express my affection for you that's not romantic or sexual, but my only word is love. And I do like that John doesn't allow us to get confused. He makes it crystal clear. The love from God is agape. A love with each other is philo. Philo. Where we get the word Philadelphia. Brother, the city of brotherly love. That's what that means. And the first part of John's argument is almost so simple, but I'm, I'm not taking time to... to dive into it because I think you could misunderstand it, but I think you need to meditate on it. That we need to understand this. That in order to truly get the full grasp of what love is, you need to know who God is. If you don't know who God is, you can't ever get the full expression of what love means. So perhaps here this morning, your big question is, does anyone love me? Can I ever find out how I can be loved? How do I know how to love other people? And I would say, the starting point, according to Pastor John, is you need to know who God is before you can ever fully experience what love is like. Now that's an incredibly powerful, and in many ways, arrogant statement if it's not true, right? Imagine if I sprayed paint right in next, all you need is love. And I spray painted, all you need is God, <laughs> right next to it. How offensive that would be to some people. Maybe it's offensive to you. This is what John's saying. It's not a light saying that he's saying. And essentially you can make the negative arguments of that. It gets confusing when people who say they know God don't love. It doesn't make sense. John's saying they, they, they're not separate. You, you can't really not love somebody and know God. It's impossible because God is love. I know it's simple, but I want us to just take a moment to just think about that. That this is how important it is to know who God really is and know who, what he's done for us. And that's the very next point. The next slide should say, if you know Jesus, you understand the Father's love. Because God didn't just write us a letter. Some people say the Bible is God's love letter to us. Yes, but he just didn't send us a letter. He sent us the word become flesh. Same writer actually who says those things. You see how some of that actually ties in together? 
Pastor John says, yeah, that's how you could describe Jesus. The love letter in person. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but I've only seen it on Elf. Who's seen Elf where they got that, I don't know what's, what it's called, not a, a singing telegram where the guy shows up and he sings and it's really awkward for everyone. Okay, some of you have seen Elf. It's in person. It's not just a card. <laughs> right now, none of you are listening. You're, <laughs> I'm singing. And, uh, you know, I know you're doing that in your head. And some of you are going to go and watch Elf on Netflix this afternoon, I'm sure. But it's not a singing telegram that comes to us. It's the Word become flesh. It's God's love personified. That's what he says about Jesus. That's what God says about Jesus. You want to really know what love is, he says you have to know Jesus. And not just that Jesus existed. You have to know what Jesus has done in particular for you. This is the way love always works. We do marriage counseling. My wife and I do it. Leslie and I do marriage counseling. We're starting to really enjoy it more and more all the time. We talk about this thing called love languages. That love isn't something that stays up here. Love is something that should be expressed. And it has to really be expressed in a variety of different ways. Because there's conflict in relationships that happen when you try to love someone in the language that you understand and you're not paying attention to the language that someone else could receive. But it doesn't matter. In all five love languages, it has to be expressed somehow. And most people, I've never heard one say, anyone say, my love language is when you think you love me. Never heard that. 20 years of doing marriage counseling, I've never once had, I don't need a love language, I, just can, I can just feel it from them. Never heard that in my life. Here's what I usually hear. Words of affirmation combined with something else. Acts of service. For those of you who don't love languages, it's good. Acts of service. Gifts of appreciation. I can't remember the other one offhand. Touch. Duh. Every guy has touch, by the way. Even if it's kind of right off to the side. They're like, I don't want to say it all loud, but touch is definitely a love language for me. It has to be expressed. Love has a hard time staying in. It doesn't even feel like love when it's inside of us. It only really starts to feel like love when it comes out. Right? You can feel love for someone, but they're, oh man, I have to tell them. That's why I say, that's why I text these guys. I'm like, oh, I got some affection here for these men. They're good men. I got to text them. Love, love you, dude. When I see you, I'll hug you, if it's appropriate. <laughs> if touch is your love language. So it happens in my family. My wife asks me if I love her all the time, and I say yes, and she's like, show me. Right? Love needs to be expressed. And here's what God says. In this, the love of God was made manifest. To make manifest is to make known. That God sent His only Son into the world. Not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Two things there. He sent his only son into the world and he sent him to be a propitiation. We just celebrated Mother's Day. Cultures everywhere have mothers and fathers. And I am amazed, even when it's depicted in movies or stories, how the most criminally, uh, cr- criminal of people love their children. It's an amazing thing. Never fails. Be a dirty, rotten person, an antagonist in the story clearly, and they have children and they love them. And they'll do anything to protect them. It always happens. Seems like that's one of the most basic things of humanity is when you have children, you just really can't help but love them. And there seems to be nothing more despicable in the world than an unloving parent toward their own child. Amen? Like when we see crimes of parents against their children, we think this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. Murder, yeah, that's fine. But against your own child? Doesn't make sense. Because it's normal to just have this love. I never really totally got that until I had my own children. I'm not saying that, that you can only understand this when you have children, but something happens when you have children. Like something goes off in your brain and you're just like, you don't have to do anything. I just love you. I mean, even those who aren't my children walk in, there's babies there. I'm like, this, these are the cutest little things in the world, right? Little eyes popping around, just gorgeous. Love kids. Baby dedications are my favorite. I love little kids. I can't imagine for one second, if I only had one child, sending that child away to do something on behalf of other people. Can you think of anything more loving to do for you if that was you? If you were helpless, if you needed some help, if you needed some saving and somebody else gave up their only kid on your behalf so that you could have life, would you not see that as the supreme act of love? And this is exactly what the gospel is. That's why we have to talk about this over and over again. This is not just like the front end information of the Christian life. This is everything we have. God sends his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. I know a lot of you use that word propitiation, right? Very common. Makes its way onto mugs everywhere. It's right underneath the Thomas Kincaid painting on your wall. I know it. Propitiation. We don't use it at all. It's a big word that simply means this. simply means to appease the wrath of. Wow. No wonder we use the word propitiation. It's not simply, but it's defined as a sacrifice that bears the wrath of God and turns it to favor. And say that again. It's a sacrifice that bears the wrath of God and it turns it to favor. You're like, wait a second, wrath? I thought we were talking about love. Yeah, we are. This is how we understand love. 
is the way the Bible describes us, is the way the Bible describes everyone. No one's outside of this category. Everyone has really been rebellious from God. If you read in the Bible the story of Adam and Eve, that's really the story of every one of us. We're just like Eve. We're just like Adam. We're either completely negligent of our call or we believe the wrong thing. It's all of us. It's always all of us. That's why Adam and Eve can stand for us. That's why we use that example all the time is because it's not just two people with the names of Adam and Eve. It really stands for men and women of all kinds. And they turned their back on God and believed the lie of the serpent, of Satan. And what was that lie? That lie was that God didn't love them. That was the lie. You ever believe that lie? Anyone? Go ahead and put up your hand. I have. I believe it all the time. I don't think there's a, a, a greater lie that gets whispered in my ear. And I don't think there's anything that causes distraction more in my life than the lie that God does not love me and does not have the best for me, that he's not a loving father. The lie that gets whispered in my ear is, God would like to do something for you, but he just can't because he's too busy. That's a lie I hear all the time. I hear another lie that says, I'm not good enough for God. He wants people that are better and have purer hearts than mine. I also believe the lie that whatever happens to me is, is my fault and I deserve the wrath of God, which is mostly true, except for there's this little thing called the gospel that blares in my ears that says, you are loved as a son of God. He does not want you to clean up before he cleans you up. He does not have this unavoidable standard. He sent his son to show his love for us, his only son, to be the propitiation for our sins, to appease the wrath that I should have taken on. And it's a megaphone that should scream out the lies that the serpent tells us that God does not love us. But it should also remind us how important it is to hear over and over and over again that I am a son or a daughter of the Most High God because of an act of supreme sacrificial love for me that I could never earn and I could never pay back, but was given to me freely simply through the belief that God was who He said He was and that He sent His Son for this reason and that's exactly why He sent Him and that it was loving of Him to do so. It's the Gospel. It's the Gospel. Now, some of you have heard this over and over again. You're like, yeah, 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 get on to the good stuff. Give me something that really helps with my life. And I would say this. If you feel you have to move on from that and that doesn't help you with everyday life, then I think you know the love of God, but you don't know the love of God. I mean, maybe you've experienced in this life, maybe you haven't, but there is something miraculous when someone loves you and you know it. I mean, I love my marriage. It's the best part of my life. I won't lie. Leslie, Leslie often asks me, do you know that I love you? I'm like, totally know it. 
feel it. Do you ever question it? No, because I know it. And it helps with everything in my life. It brings me home at night. It helps give direction to my day. It helps me with all kinds of things. But it's not a head knowledge. It's not a piece of paper. It's not a ring on my finger. It's a deep, visceral knowledge where I know my wife loves me. There's nothing more moving for me in this whole world. And that's why it makes sense, the third point. Where it says we see the Father when we see love for one another. That's how I know is because when I see the way my wife loves me, I see my God. I see the kindness and the patience he has for me. I see the sacrifice. The stuff my wife has given up for me so that I could plant a church is, I could never pay her back for this. And she has done it so willingly. That's what the text says. How do you know? How do you feel that? How do you see that? Wouldn't it be nice to have, like, okay, Jesus died for me. That's great. His spirit speaks to me. That's excellent. But what about today? Like, what happens to me today? And Jesus says, I've given you people who once they've experienced the love of God, have no other purpose in life than to love one another and love God. That's our mission. Our mission isn't simply to love those that aren't with us on Sunday morning. That's why even when we gather and we pray, I say, hey, the way we treat one another, even as we unpack and practice sound, matters to our mission. This expresses the love of God in us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What? That means God is on a mission to show his love and it's going to come to completion through us. Did you catch that? That the way you and I love each other is God's plan to explain to the world the fullness of what love really is? What an enormous opportunity. What an enormous opportunity. It means that the circuit of God's love is completed in us when we love one another. That means that God uses the love relationships between one another as brothers and sisters as a way of showing people what God is like and allowing us to see what God is like. It feels like there's a handful of people in my life that I've truly loved and there is just nothing like it to bring me close to God. Not only do I have a wife, but I have good brothers who love me so deeply and sacrifice all the time for my goodness. They're generous to me. They're encouraging to me. They love me in the languages that I understand well. And I love these brothers. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like being amongst that to draw you close to God. 
This is a call for us as a church as well, friends. You say, well, I I don't feel like loving anyone. I would start at the very beginning of what I began to talk about. Then the problem is that you don't love people enough. The problem is you don't know God's love enough. I always say that. If you have not experienced the raw, awesome power of the love of Jesus Christ in your life, there's no way you could ever love properly. Oh, sure, you can do some surface things. You can say, hi, good morning, how's your day? Good. So I'm not really interested, but I'll listen for a bit. You can be kind, you can be nice. You can even be generous. But if you know the love of God, you cannot help yourself. You have to get it out. Have you ever met someone like that? They just discovered someone or something that they love? Like, have you ever been on Facebook? No? People talk about the stuff they love all the time. The stuff that they love changes their life. You'll never believe the store I went into. Oh my goodness, you have to hear all about this. Click, 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 click. Love this store. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. See, true love actually, the way love is designed is it changes us. And it never stays inside us. I think it was C.S. Lewis. I don't know where the quote is, but he actually said that the funny thing is, was we can't even, we can't even experience love until we start expressing it. And we can't, it's just natural. It's the way God made us. Yes, he wired us to love one another. He wired us to love and he wired us in such a way that when we were changed by love, it would change us to the point where it would affect all kinds of people. And so how does this love show up in our community? I think all kinds of ways. This is why in some ways we should have talked about love before we even talked about mercy last week. Because I think when we truly know the love of God and how merciful and gracious he has been to us, We will find ways to love our city with mercy and graciousness. We won't have question marks about how do I serve my city and make it a a, a place that people thrive and could get to know God. We would just have this overflowing understanding of God's love and it would affect everything that we do. And last week I read a quote out of a book that said that Christianity went from basically 70 people to over half, 50% of the population of about 300 million in 300 years. How did that happen? Do you know how it happened? People were so gripped by the love of God that it turned into mercy. That they actually loved one another as they loved themselves. In fact, they loved way more than they loved themselves. They were so drawn by the love of God for them. They were so captured by the gospel. They saw what Jesus had done for them. He paid for their sin in their place. And that by repenting of their sin, repenting of their way, turning from their way and believing in Jesus, their hearts had been totally enraptured by the love of God. It changed the entire world. And I wonder sometimes if what's holding back the revival of God in our city is the fact that we just don't love one another. I wonder about that. I'm not talking even within the church. I'm talking within the whole church. What would happen if all of the Christians in the city began to love on each other in such a way 
that people started to notice, what do you think would happen? How many people do you say, I don't know about this God thing, but I, I want in. I want in. I know in my neighborhood, at this point, there are very few people that see what I believe and go, I want that. But I know for a fact, there are people that see the relationship that I have with my wife and how much we love each other and my kids and how much we love each other and they say, I want that. I'm not bragging. We're not perfect people by any stretch of the imagination. Believe me, if you lived with us for six hours, you'd find this out. But it's amazing how powerful love actually is. That it actually draws people. It's part of the mission. It's a way of doing mission. And so we need to pray. We need to pray that we're a church that understands this, not in our heads, but in our hearts. That we don't just say God is love, but we say, I know that God loves me. I know how hard this is to believe at times. I know that some of you will be self-deprecating in, in terrible ways this morning. You say, oh, but you don't know what my sin is like. Oh, but you don't know how lovable, unlovable I really am. Oh, but you don't know how, what I've actually done to God. Oh, but you don't know any of those things. Of course I don't know those things. But God did not love you after you sinned. He loved you before. He loved you during and after. He loved you before the foundation of the world. He loved you when you knew you would be rebellious. He loved you when you knew you would be unlovable. Even before you knew you would be unlovable, He loved you with His love. So I think this is an in invitation for us to simply sit at His feet and celebrate. Every week we celebrate something called the Lord's Table, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist. We use all of those words. This is a celebration of the love of God for us. That's why we do it every week. I don't know about you, but I can never hear enough how much God loves me. I can never hear it enough. It's one of my favorite things. It is my favorite thing in the whole wide world. This past week, I had some brothers who laid their hands on me, who loved me. And they reminded me that I'm a son of the Most High God and that I am deeply loved in all my quirkiness. They said that. In all my weirdness, in all of the ways that I have disobeyed God, they said, yeah, but you're loved by the Father. It's a powerful moment for me. I think it will, it certainly changed my week. I bet anything it'll change my life. You need to hear this morning that the Father loved you so much that he was willing to send his only son. That's what the Bible says. Same writer, different book. Almost the same reference. So we talked about, there's 1 John 3.16, but then there's John 3.16. For God so loved the world and he gave his only son. And whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, would not perish, but have eternal life.
you believe that this morning, I invite you to come and participate in the Lord's table, which is a physical representation, a message to you of how much God loves you. And so if you need to hear how much God loves you, would you come forward and believe and say, yes, God loves me. Amen. And take the cup and take the bread. And Ben, would you come up as I pray for us? Oh, Jesus. I know without a doubt that I've known this information for a long time and yet, Jesus, I can never hear it enough. And I know there are some here this morning, I, I can almost be assured that there are some who are at this point, they are still in disbelief. They still do not fully believe that you could possibly love them. And that whatever you're doing to them appears like an act of unloving. But Jesus, you gave us the most important word picture sign act you could ever do. You didn't send us a card. You didn't send us a book. You sent us a person. You sent us yourself. You came to us. You lived the life that we should have lived. You died the death we should have died. And just by believing in you, We have everything that you earned for us. What a miracle. Jesus, I'm praying that this sinks into our hearts today and that we can experience your love as we partake of communion together. Amen.